Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. You know, everybody makes mistakes, and there's big mistakes and small mistakes, but really what defines you as a professional is how you handle it. Hello everyone, I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That quote was from Michelle Heyman of Heyman and Associates in Austin, Texas. I invited Michelle on the show because I wanted to get some insight into the area of forensic accounting. And to my surprise, she not only accepted the invitation, but she also offered to have one of her forensic specialists join us for a later episode, which we're going to air in the next week or so. If you have any questions about what a forensic accountant actually does on a daily basis or what types of projects or situations they're involved in, the variety of engagements you may be involved in, or any other questions related to the field, this episode is definitely for you. If you'd like further information on their company or the types of work they handle at Heyman & Associates, please visit our show notes page at www whereaccountantsgo.com for all the notes on the interview as well as the associated links. This truly is a career-focused episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Here we go with Michelle Heyman of Heyman and Associates in Austin, Texas. Michelle, thank you for taking the time out for this. I really appreciate you scheduling it. I know it's a really busy time for you guys. Well, Mark, I'm happy to do it. We try and help out the college students and those coming up in the profession all the time. So I'm happy that you've asked me to do this. Wonderful. Well, well, thank you. I, I was glad to, to, to find you online. And just to give the, the audience a little background, I was looking for an expert on forensic accounting. And so I did some research and I came across your background and then recognized you from the the State CPA Society. And then for everybody listening, when I called Michelle, she said, gosh, you know, I'll be happy to be on the show. And and by the way, I I have another expert on my team and, and, you know, perhaps we should look at two interviews. And so that was sort of hard to pass up. So this is going to be a first for us. I'm interviewing you and then we'll follow up here with Billy. Uh, in a few weeks, and Billy's from from law enforcement, I believe. Correct? Yes, he is. Wonderful. This is this is going to be really special. Thank you very much. Well, I always like to start at the beginning, so I like to find out sort of how people got into the profession in the first place. So, how, how did you decide to become an accountant? What led you to accounting? Well, I actually took a class in high school, and I liked it. They had a partner come and talk about it. And I will admit I was impressed by how much he was making at the time, but also (laughs) what was intriguing was what he talked about auditing and working with the clients and, 
you know, you always have something different and it sounded more interesting to me. And I just remember, you know, I told my mom, I'm going to go for accounting and I want to be a CPA. And, and she'd tell her friends and they're like, oh, no, she'll never, you know, follow through with it. This is just high school. And so I went to college and went through and got my CPA and everything. And she's always like, never thought you'd just stay with it. It's <laughs> like, well, you know, it, I was good in math. So it, it seemed kind of natural. Interesting. So he came in and he he not only shared a little bit about what you do in audit, but he shared a little bit about the lifestyle that accounting can provide, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And so it was the auditing that really drew me to going more for the CPA than just the accounting side of it. And I didn't know that much about tax. I remember him talking about auditing, though. And then when I was looking at colleges, Somebody that worked at the part-time job that I was at, she she was like, if I had to do it all over again, I'd go to RIT, which is the Rochester Institute of Technology, which doesn't sound like a business school, hmm. but they had a really good business school. So I ended up going there, and they had two tracks, one for public accounting and one for accounting. The real difference was just that the public accounting, you didn't have choice of classes because it was designed specifically for the coursework you needed for the CPA. Interesting. Which which route did you end up taking? Oh, the public accounting. You did? Okay. I, was, I did. Just double checking. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I remember is I really didn't like cost accounting. So I think I knew I wasn't going to do anything in manufacturing. <laughs> But the other reason why I decided to do that is when the CPA came to talk to the class, it just sounded like if I did something like accounting, then there was a whole bunch of different areas you could go to because you could go to different industries, you could go public, private, you could do not-for-profit education. It just seemed like if I did that, you know what, wherever I went, I could get a job. Yes. And it's been true my whole career. That is very true. That is very true. So your first job out of college, was it in audit? No. (laughs) (laughs) So my college required us to have cooperative education, which Hmm. is similar to interns, but a little different because it was actually fully integrated into our education. So I had to work two 10-week periods because we were on quarters, not semesters. So we were 10 weeks. Hmm. So I did two tax seasons before I graduated. And what was really funny was that the first year I prepared 1985 tax returns. And when I came back the second year, I prepared 1986 tax returns. And of course, the 1986 Tax Act rewrote the entire code. Oh, my God! Well, that was kind of interesting. But see, I didn't know enough yet to be that bothered by it. <laughs> so I did two tax seasons. And actually, having the cooperative education, I had no problem finding a job. But it was in tax. And it wasn't till my second job out of college that I actually worked in audit. Okay. Okay. Did you dislike tax as much as you thought you would earlier on? Or, or did you find that it wasn't uh... Well, I didn't think (laughs) I would dislike tax. I didn't really know anything about it when I thought I wanted to be a CPA. Oh, okay. Okay. But then when I went into audit, I found I didn't like audit. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And I switched to being tax. (laughs) How long were you in audit? Well, on and off quite a bit 
till 2003. I think 2003 was last year I did an audit. But I was never really doing a lot of audits in any of the companies that I worked for. So to give you an idea of my work experience, I worked for 10 different firms in three different states prior to starting my own firm. Okay. Because we moved. And I don't know if I knew I'd be somebody who moved a lot when I made that decision in high school, but it ended up happening. And every time I moved, I've never really had a problem finding a job. Okay. Yes. Well, CPA will do that for you. (laughs) It will, but it's interesting because in some firms, I would do a lot of everything. So when I first started out in the firms, I ended up doing a lot of monthly financial statements and individual tax returns. Oh, and one audit. My next job, I did a little bit more auditing, individual and entity returns. And then I was doing next firm, individual, and I was auditing pension plans and homeowners associations. And so it's interesting you go through this. So I had a really broad background of what I did. And I worked from a sole practitioner through a regional firm was the largest I ever worked for. Okay. Okay. Well, I know this is a little bit of a personal question. We, we do call it life and accounting. I guess what, what led to those moves? Was it spouse job change? or? Re- yes. My husband worked for a company that transferred us around. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and then, you know, a couple times I moved within where we were for different reasons. When I took the exam up in New York, that's where we started. It was New York, Florida, and Texas. And New York had a requirement that you had to have 75% of two years' experience in audit to get your license. So it took me the first five years of my career to get 75% or 18 months of audit. Interesting. I wasn't aware that it was that specific. Hmm. Well, and I don't know if it's changed because that was a couple years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, I, I did notice that, and maybe I'm wrong, but it looks like all of your career has been in public accounting. Is that is that correct? It has. When we've moved, I've considered going outside of public accounting, and then I would think that I'd be bored to tears and I'd stay. Okay. Okay. I hear the same thing from some other individuals that, that have really made a great career for themselves in public accounting. It's, that it's just the, the pace that, that really keeps them there and, and the variety that, that draws them in. So what, what do you feel is, I guess, led to your success because you had moved up along the way and, and obviously you started your own firm? What is it about your personality or, or your, your skill set that just lends itself really well to public? Well, I've always heard the do it afraid And so I like to just jump in. When I moved, a lot of the firms, I ended up doing different things or been put in different areas. And one of the biggest shifts I made was here in Austin when I moved from one of the the regional firm I was at to a large local firm, and they wanted me to do consulting. And I didn't even know what it was. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. (laughs) And, you know, I'll just figure it out. And so I get on the job and I was there to do tax also. So 
if a consulting project came up, then that's what I was supposed to do. But if there wasn't anything, I did tax work. So the first thing we get is a business valuation. And I knew nothing about business valuations when they first gave it to me. And so it was all on the job training. And then after that first one, the partner said that, you know, it's easier for him to send me for training and get the credential than doing what we're doing. And so they sent me for the credential three months after I started working there. And so I went through, did the coursework and everything to become a certified valuation analyst. Okay. So you sort of have an attitude of, you said, do it afraid. I guess don't, don't be afraid. Just jump in there and you'll learn it as you go. And Yeah. Well, a lot of accountants are risk averse. Not all of them, but the tendency to the personality. And so a lot of them, they like the structure of most of the work. And there's many that, you know, would never want to do the litigation work because a lot of the forensic accounting or valuation could be potential litigation also. So you are really putting yourself out there when you do the consulting work. It's your reputation. Yes, definitely. Well, tell us about how you started your own firm because you've had that a while now, correct? Six and a half years. Okay. It's gone fast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing I really enjoy and, you know, not everybody enjoys this, but I enjoy getting out there and meeting people and networking and working in other organizations, giving back to the community. I do a lot of work with, in the past, Leadership Austin, and I'm in a Rotary Club, and Texas Society CPAs. I do a lot of work for them. I've held several positions, and I just really enjoy being out there. So you build up a really good network, and that network, you know, helps you to get the clients. So when I made the decision when I was in the firm I was in that I wanted to go off on my own, I left there with two clients. Mm, wow. And but I had my network. Yes. And so I built the firm from those two clients up to I don't know, maybe 300 or okay. so clients and were let's see four full-time people and three part-time people. Okay. Now, what are your firm's specialties? Or where do you spend most of your time? Well, I split my time between tax and the forensic accounting and the valuation primarily. A lot of the valuation work, we also do buy-sell consulting, which is just helping people through a transaction. We don't really do any audit work because I did drop that. And then my partner, Julie Dale, who joined the firm in November of 2012, Mm -hmm. she is all tax. She went UT, master's in taxation, CPA, and probably one of the best tax people I've worked with in my career. And so she really holds together all the tax work. Okay. And then we brought Billy in to help with the forensic accounting and litigation work with his background in white-collar crime. And our other full-time person, David, he comes from a finance background, and he helps out with tax and valuation. So we have a lot of integration. Okay. Are you still involved in the forensic accounting yourself as well? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's one of my favorite areas. 
So for, for people considering that, you know, as a career option, maybe they're thinking about becoming an accountant because that sounds interesting. What do you do on a daily basis on an engagement in the forensic, for forensic accounting area? So for forensic accounting, the two primary areas we work in is with employee theft and the trusted employee and we'll do partner and shareholder disputes. That's the other large area. We work in divorce cases with both financial issues and valuation. So we're working with a lot of attorneys. We get a lot of work from other CPAs who don't do what we do. But for something like the employee theft cases, mm-hmm. You know, somebody will discover it, and it's usually by accident, which is kind of sad because they should have controls that found it before they just trip over it. Hmm. And then a lot of times the person knows they've been discovered, and many times they walk off the job, so they abandon their position. And then the client's left with, what's next? What do I do? And so hopefully they get referred to us. And we'll sit down with them and see where they're at and what they've done and make recommendations of whether they, you know, may or may not need an attorney. Are they going to make a police report? Do they have insurance coverage? What does that look like? We help them gather the evidence, determine the amount of the loss. And that takes a lot of different shapes depending on what's happened because sometimes it's a defined period of time because you can't figure out all of it. Many of the trusted employee cases that we call them, the person's been on the job for a long time and Mm. could have been stealing for a long time. You see a lot of these cases in the paper, and some of our cases have been in the paper. They never mention us, though. So I guess no CSI, forensic (laughs) CPA. (laughs) Uh, But the business disputes, they can be a little bit more difficult, the partner and shareholders, where they may think that there's there's some issue with one of the partners and what they're doing or how they're executing their position, or they may be taking money out of the company or depriving the company in some way of an asset. Okay. And so that's another type of work that we do. And that one, we're usually working through the attorney because a lot of times they're already looking at litigation, whereas an employee theft case, we're really working with the organization. And many times there may not be an ability to recover or there may not be enough insurance. And so we may just help them fix the problem try and put some controls in and help it help them so it doesn't happen again. And a lot of times that's the value we provide. And then we can provide ongoing services to some of these clients as they continue to move through. So it's nice that we can help them. I wish we could help them before they've had this issue. Mm-hmm. And that's why Myself and Billy do a lot of speaking in regards to the fraud and fraud prevention and red flags, and it's considered occupational fraud when we're referring to employees that deprive their employer of an asset. Obviously, you're dealing with some very emotional clients at that point, and then then you're doing this project, which I imagine takes some time to, to figure out the extent of what the theft has been. It looks like you would build up, you know, quite a 
trusted relationship yourself at that point? And, and then I guess, does that, does that lead to future engagement work for other accounting services? It can. It can. Okay. We many times continue to work with the clients. And you're right. It's, it's very difficult for these clients because they've had a breach in trust. Yeah. And they really felt that these people were loyal. And, you know, you have somebody that comes to you and says, you know, I'm sorry, I think I put you out of business. You have no idea what to think and what to do next. And it's so emotional for them. And I think the most emotional case or the hardest one was when we were interviewing a priest when the office staff had stolen quite a decent amount of money in a very short period of time. And when a priest is crying, it's really hard. You know, you just know he trusted that person and couldn't believe it had happened. Mm, That is difficult. Yeah, that, that's interesting because I, I was, you know, I noticed we haven't talked about divorce cases yet. And I was thinking that those may be some of the more difficult cases, but it sounds like the employee theft and can be just as bad, maybe in another way, or just as difficult. You, you have to be a counselor in your job. Yes. <laughs> counselor and, and a good negotiator is, is good too. Ah, uh, yes. I'm just curious if, if you had to sort of estimate what percentage of the cases are, are theft versus, you know, shareholder dispute, partner disputes, and divorces. I mean, how does that split up for you? I'd say the majority are employee theft. Hmm. Okay. Unfortunately. I'm learning something. I, I thought I thought it would be divorce, unfortunately, but interesting. Okay. There's okay. a lot of work in divorce, but a lot of times with divorce, even though financial issues are can be significant, many times there's other issues that are non-financial that are more imperative to settle in the divorce. Okay. Do you typically do work for both sides in the divorce or are you hired no. by one? Okay. Yes. Interesting. Well, what should someone know if they're thinking about forensics as an area of interest or they're thinking maybe they have a few years experience and they're thinking about, you know, looking for jobs in that area? (laughs) Well, there's there's a few things with that. We got a call when I was in one of the firms and the client indicated that the bookkeeper had just come in and said, I stole $3,000. And the client told us, we don't think it's $3,000. And it ended up, I think, being eighty or 90000 <gasps> which she's still paying back today. But that got me thinking, you know, I've worked, I don't remember how many years, you know, 15 years in accounting, and I had this varied background. And I thought, you know, that client calls, you want to be able to help them. And so I started looking into doing the forensic accounting work, and I took some training. And then I'm like, you know what? This is really applicable to helping small businesses that are coming in for tax returns that think everything's just fine because they're these small shops and they're the ones that are getting hit. Statistically, businesses under 100 employees, the average loss is $150,000. And that amount can put an organization, whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit, out of business. And quite frankly, in the time frame I've done the work, we've only had maybe two cases under 100000 Oh, my gosh. 
And so that sent me in the direction. So I was thinking about it because there's those of us that have experience in going into that area, getting some training, you know, doing some networking and with other CPAs and attorneys, primarily letting them know you do the work can get you into doing the work. Or if you have a client base, you may already be getting it. And for me, I didn't want to refer the work to somebody else. And the more I got into it, the more I really enjoyed it. For somebody coming out of college, they're a lot more fortunate these days because you can take classes in forensic accounting and you can get training in the criminal side and civil side and understand all the different aspects of what goes on working in this space. And so that's really great for them because, you know, for us, I'm not even sure forensic accounting existed when I was in college. I don't remember it, yes. Yes, and so I think that some of the work was being done, but it wasn't called specifically forensic accounting, and there wasn't really a whole body of knowledge around that. But now there is, and there's so much resources available. And for somebody who wants to go that direction. You can get a degree that's more geared to going in that direction. You can look and get jobs. When we were just up in Dallas together, the gentleman I sat next to, his 17-year-old daughter wants to be a forensic accountant. And so I was talking to him about that. And she hasn't even started college yet. And I told him, I said, well, you know, she starts her coursework you know, she should look into being associated with the Association for Certified Fraud Examiners and look what resources they have or even attend a conference. When they have the conferences, they have the job fairs and they have FBI and CIA and government and Billy will address some of those avenues. But you can go directly into some of those agencies with a college degree these days and it can be more specific. But in general, going into college and going for accounting and getting your CPA gives you a great foundation to go in so many different areas. And there's such a need, and it's only going to be greater in the future. I'm curious, ballpark, what percentage of these employee theft cases are situations where the, the company doesn't have any external consultant of any kind looking in, such as somebody, an outside CPA firm preparing their tax return or a CFO consulting with them part-time. You know, they basically just have a bookkeeper internally and, and that's So, most it. everybody has somebody preparing the tax return, but okay. that doesn't necessarily mean that they're seeing the type of information they would need to see in order to know something was going on because a lot of times you'd have to see the evidence. You'd have to see the check that they wrote to themselves and endorsed the back. We've had organizations that have been audited, but financial statement audit isn't designed to find fraud. Mm. We try and have them understand the outsourcing part of the accounting process, if they have only one person in the accounting function or don't have the higher level controller CFO, don't have the ability to have the internal controls to use an outside person to 
do the bank reconciliation, to look at the books on a monthly basis, to close the books. There's a lot of things they can do, which isn't a huge cost month to month, but I'm not sure why they don't. I think a lot of times they just think it's going to be somebody else and not them because they trust their employee. When they do, like you said, almost always somebody else outside is doing the tax return. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe even providing more services. Do you ever have yourself in a situation where you you have to talk them down from holding that other organization more accountable than they should be? Basically, they're angry with their other provider. No, actually, it's sort of been the other way around. Sometimes oh. we've encouraged them to make a complaint because professional standards were so substandard. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Most of the time they will not. Hmm. Okay. Actually, I saw that going the other way. Interesting. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I saw that more when I was an auditor. (laughs) One of my first experiences with auditing, we received, and I don't know if this is standard or not, but it was, an organization, and we basically got all the records for the entire year in a couple of boxes, and they came to us, and I had to audit these boxes. And it was so bad that they didn't have any bank reconciliations. I was on the phone for an hour and a half with the person who was supposed to be preparing them, trying to explain to her how to do it, and was frustrated. So, And this is very early. This is like my second job out of college. And so I went to the partner the partner calls the client, he wanted to fire the whole staff. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa, no, I don't think that's necessary. (laughs) So it it really took me back when that happened. It's like, oh, let's let's take a step back here. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But no, I haven't really seen that. I mean, like I said, a lot of the employee theft cases, the perpetrator usually is either fired or walked off the job and usually walked off the job and been in their position when they know they've been discovered. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'm assuming the $3,000 incident was a situation where they they figured they were going to get caught for the $3,000. So maybe if they turned themselves in for that, then they would be given forgiveness and not found out on the other part. Yes. Well, and they, you know, some will try and pay back and and think everything is going to be all right. And it's just like, it's still a crime. Yes, yes. But as far as having the others involved, it's unfortunate when they've been audited and they feel that it should have been discovered. But audits are, financial statement audits are very clear that they're not designed to discover fraud. However, we have received a couple of cases when the auditor has tripped over it. Interesting. And they refer them to you then? Or is that generally the... Okay. Okay. Yes. We usually get the call in that case and come in and do the work. And then the auditor needs to make the decision in regards to the amount of the loss and whether they're going to get any recovery. And things like that. But as far as the investigation or the gathering of evidence, the financial statement auditors typically don't do that work. There are some that are also forensic accountants and it would be separate. I don't think they would do it for their own client though. Okay. How often are you in the courtroom? 
or or one of you, you or one of your team members in the courtroom? Oh, that's a hard question. How often no, we're in the courtroom? Are you are you or is it mostly settled out of court? I mean, do you find yourself well? A lot of it's settled testimony? out of court. So for for me in particular, I've only actually testified once. Okay, and most everything else is settled. And for Billy, he's had a little bit more experience. He's been, we've had a couple cases that were specifically for testimony since he's been here. And he's been here in a year and a half. Okay. So for those individuals that enjoy the investigative portion of the job, but may not enjoy being on trial and speaking in public and <laughs> you know, that aspect of it, this, this could be a great career. It really can. Well, you need to be prepared that you will be on the stand at any given time. There are some cases where you're specifically hired, you will be testifying. But for the majority of time, you don't know whether you're going to have to testify or not. So you better be prepared to do it if you have to. Interesting. Okay. Well, you have an internal controls workshop coming up as well, don't you, here in a few months? We do. We do. Okay. November 9th, we're going to be speaking at the Austin chapter of the Texas Society of CPAs on practical control workshop for small offices. Okay. And we're hoping to be able to help people realize if you do nothing else, do this, and it can make a difference because it's amazing the small things that you can do that can prevent somebody from stealing from you. Wonderful. Why? We have a mix of listeners. And so, you know, for anyone that is a little later in their career or, or wants to learn more about that, I wanted to make sure we, we highlight that workshop. You said it's in November, correct? Yes, it is on the 9th. November. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I know Billy's going to share some more with us. So, and, and we're, we're getting close to the time where, where I generally start to shut them down. And I want to be respectful of your time as well. So I'd like to go ahead and move to, to the last few questions, more on a personal level. I always like to ask every guest, what has been your proudest moment? Well, I've had many. I think all CPAs will say passing the exam uh, is just an amazing feeling <laughs> that you yes, don't have to sit for it again. And... It was interesting because up in New York, every time you sat, they took your fingerprints. Hmm. And that was a little unusual because I find that not all states were doing that, but you thought they were. And so they want to make sure who's sitting in that seat, if there's any question of who's sitting in the seat. But the exam was difficult, and it was huge to pass it. I wasn't one of those first-time passers. But, you know, that doesn't matter once you have CPA behind your name. (laughs) So one thing I really, really enjoy in relation to that is here in Texas, they have the swearing-in ceremony for all the new CPAs. They do it twice a year up in Austin. And since I'm here in Austin, our chapter usually volunteers to usher the event. And it's just so wonderful. Everybody is so excited and the family members are there and we'll have 300 people walk and all the families and cheering. And it's just such a great feeling. And it reminds me of how excited I was when I passed. But another time was when Julie joined the firm and became a partner, it was really satisfying because we hired her out of college 
when I was in one of the other firms and I trained her and for her to come here and be my partner was just awesome. Oh, that is special. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, she's awesome. We're having a great time. And recently I was nominated to the executive committee of the Texas Society of CPAs. And I never thought I'd be at that level at the state serving our profession. So it's a huge honor. Oh, so you didn't only get nominated, you got selected. I did. Well, congratulations. Well, I used nominated because it's different than being appointed. So I was nominated and accepted. Oh, yes, yes. Congratulations. There's a lot of competition for those seats or or a number of people that are interested. So that's, that's wonderful. Wonderful. It is two seats per year for a three-year term. So every two, every year there's two seats available. Wow. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made and and what you learned from it, of course. And and frankly, the bigger, the better. We like (laughs) (laughs) I've been struggling with this so much. Because open up, open up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, and it's interesting because I have, my attitude towards mistakes is, and I don't remember where I learned this from, but, you know, everybody makes mistakes and there's big mistakes and small mistakes, but really what defines you as a professional is how you handle it. And when I find that there's been an error by myself, in particular, or somebody else, I make sure that I fully understand what's happened. I look at the options and I'll go to my boss and I'll say, okay, this is what's happened. This is what I think we should do about it. And then we talk about it and move on. And so, so many times, and I can remember certain mistakes, but they were never that bad because the way I handled it and you know, how you're able to solve it because you can't hide it. It's going to be discovered. There's no question. And that could look really bad. Yes. And you don't want to do that. So I've always tried to train the staff with that. One time I remember in particular is when we do tax returns, we do this reconciliation to make sure, you know, what we think the number should be is what the number is. And, you know, I was rushing through something. We were doing an extension and not really doing the full process. And it was a large one. When I told the client that he had to cut a check, it was a few hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. And did that. Okay, fine. Well, you have to, you can't extend your time to pay. So those estimates are important. When I got to doing the return, I found out that something I thought I entered into the computer, I, in fact, did not enter, and it changed the tax by over $40,000. Not taxable income, but the actual tax. The tax. Oh, my gosh. And so you have the tax and the penalty and everything for not estimating it correctly. And, you know, what you think about having to call up that client and explain what happened is not easy. But it also taught me that I always reconcile even my estimates (laughs) and not just the tax return. (laughs) But really, it's how you handle those mistakes. That's That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. Thank you. That is a good lesson about mistakes. Well, last question I always ask is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, 
I think one thing, and and I'll say that maybe it's been too many years, but I can't remember who specifically told me this, but I just always remember, you know, you have to stand up and ask for what you want. You know, the worst thing that can happen is they say no, hmm. because, and, and, it, and, and it came from a woman because I think for women, it's more difficult to do that. And that's why the person told me that. It's like, never be afraid to stand up and ask for what you want. And that's really helped me because when you move states and, and move firms, you, know, you have to be confident in where you are, what you can do, and what you want. And then the other thing is to be a lifetime learner. When we come out of college, we know the tip of a very, very large iceberg. <laughs> and if you're not open to finding a mentor and learning from the people who have the experience and being open to that and learning for a lifetime. I mean, we have CPE and that's one of the reasons is you want to stay up. And so constantly making sure that I'm staying up and, and being confident in where I'm at and has really served me well. That's great advice. That's that lifetime learner concept has come up on several episodes. And I think I'm sure it applies to a lot of professions, but definitely to the accounting profession. Things are always changing, so it's very, very important. Exactly. Well, just because you have your degree doesn't necessarily mean you're done. That's right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you making the time for this and and offering to allow us to talk to Billy as well later on. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And I think we got a lot of, lot of good tips here and, and some good insight into, into the forensic accounting world. Really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much. And it's, it's been great having a chat with you. Well, thank you for your time. Hope to talk to you again soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview, everyone. As I mentioned, It not only had some career advancement tips, as many of our interviews do, but Michelle really did a great job of covering the different aspects of forensic accounting. I learned quite a bit myself. If you enjoyed this episode, look out for the interview coming up with her team member, Billy Petty, that's going to be coming out right after this one. I hope you're enjoying the program. If you happen to be a frequent user of any social media platforms, such as LinkedIn, or Facebook, one of the biggest compliments you can give us is to share out the page. Our homepage on either platform can be found under Where Accountants Go. We have many more successful accounting professionals teed up to share their stories of how they got to where they are today in the coming weeks. As I always say, stay tuned. There's more to come.